Oh man. So yeah, I, I know what I did wrong when I was racing. The main thing that I learned was the value of customer discovery is not something to ever be discounted. I think it sometimes it's an obvious, but the, the fact of the matter is, I think a lot of startups, they, they talk to their customers at a very surface level, right? Like how hyped are you about the, our product? Which is great at some capacity, right? Like you want it, you want customer satisfaction, you want an interface that works well, but also working with your customers and asking, not asking them, but leading them up to a point where they can tell you where you can tell them what the ROI is and them actually agreeing with you about that, that's a totally different thing than them just being excited. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani, and my guest today is Nikhil Vimal. I would describe Nikhil as someone who has been on both sides of a startup. He has been an entrepreneur and is currently an angel investor. In this episode, I find out about Nikhil's journey and get some insights into what entrepreneurs do well and where he sees the future going. Nikhil also is an advisor to multiple high-growth startups, quite a few of them actually based in Silicon Valley. Let's welcome Nikhil to the show and let's get into it. Nikhil, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. I would love to know so um, a bit about your background, um, how you got started and um, into what you are doing. If you mm-hmm. can please share with our audience, that'd be great. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a bit of a long story. I'll try to shorten it. But I think the journey is really unorthodox. Or maybe it's, I don't know how common it is, but it's one that I find I pride myself in because I think it's a route that really got me into the places I wanted. And I definitely took, a, in my opinion, a cooler way to get to where I am now. So you know, I'll try to I'll try to share the exciting elements of this. But thank you, thanks so much for having me, Sam. And I'm really excited to to chat a little bit today and answer some of your questions and just have a conversation based on where we go to here. So sure. my background starts in the development world, actually, by not by trade really, but by self taught. Long time ago, I guess that coming up on nine years ago now, I was I just had time on my hands and decided to learn how to uh, code. I think there was a wave in the early days of Code Academy. You to me, like when all these platforms are just building up for the first time, I just got on that wave and I was really interested in, I've always been involved, interested in tech from like the perspective of all those YouTube channels that were reviewing phones and softwares and apps. That was like the glory years, 2012 to 2000 or 2010 to 2012 when that big boom happened. And I, and at one point it was just like, I got to do something with this because I remember I had dreams of being more of a creator and being a YouTuber who like reviews phones and stuff, but it seemed boring to me. I'd rather actually be the one building the software and you know, I was obviously inspired by the, the stories of Steve Jobs and Benioff and everybody like that. So yeah, I, you know, I, my story starts there. My initial, I, I did the whole thing where I, I was working, doing all the online free courses I could, the massive online, you know, communities, every everything I could to learn code and immerse myself into web. I guess it was 2.0 at the time I did and learning about apps. I didn't do a lot of app dev, but I learned like Angular was starting to become adopted React was just come, like creeping up. Crazy time. It was very weird. I feel like old now it's talking about it, but those platforms weren't even in public release yet. They were, they were in very early uh, alphas. I remember, I remember being part of a lot of that wave and really getting involved in the open source community, starting particularly with a shout out to the WordPress open source community. It's an insanely massive worldwide community of amazing open source uh, you know, contributors and all these different companies that are building plugins and themes, but all giving back to the wordpress.org, that's the self-hosted software that has a lot of presence and runs a lot of amazing sites on the web. And I just had a, just one way or another through web development, I was like, all right, how could I be more involved in 
some sort of community, some sort of movement. Mm -hmm. And WordPress just happened to be the one. It was off to the races with that. I was going to, I'm originally from Minneapolis. So I was going to all the local conferences happening there, which actually, oddly, they had a very big WordPress presence, a lot of agencies um, that I got to work with. It was very random, but I I was just there at the right time, place kind of thing. So I got very involved with the meetups and it was like PHP, uh, JavaScript, and just Web 2.0 web design stuff was just really booming in the Midwest, Milwaukee, Chicago as well. And yeah, I, my, my start in that was not just learning how to code, but also learning how to be a, a developer with people skills of so networking and understanding what kind of value I can create, wh- which, which way my career could go. Did some like minor internships and just like early like apprenticeship type things initially. And then uh, actually went to the route of starting my own agency pretty early on just to get an excuse to like really work on something like this full time and and just keep learning. You know, one thing led to another, I became just through that open source world and and through contributing and through being active, I was getting clients, I was getting work and I was able to work on some really innovative projects, not just for WordPress, but at that time, like Laravel had came out, which is another like uh, PHP platform. There was just a lot of, like I said, like React and Angular, people wanted apps designed and uh, developed. I was the guy doing that. Nothing particularly crazy, but the exciting part was that I was like part of the communities behind that, especially yeah. in the early days. Like I said, you're flying around the country or just doing it in the Midwest. One thing led to another and coming closer to that startup world experience, I started to bump into open source artificial intelligence, which it's even at that time was a very weird thing to think about it was because everyone has thought of AI as this very secure cloud or like it's like this enterprise level thing no one can touch. But there were some platforms, particularly in the world of chatbots, and uh, very early like voice interfaces where there were there were companies literally built on creating open source modules for natural language understanding, for image recognition that, uh, that could run through a chatbot and could export data into a conversation. And just some really crazy things that I saw, I would say around 2015, 2016. And around that time, I just like that, that open source involvement and also running my own agency, I started to get into doing a little bit more of those like cutting edge projects, right? So not necessarily like building AI, I was starting to work in elements of natural language understanding and starting to build chatbots and other intelligent interfaces, you could call them, where there'd be some, some sort of more advanced backend that I could connect to and I could hit with endpoints and have data be a little bit more dynamic, right, for, for apps and websites alike. And just through that, I discovered the amazing platform, Product Hunt. In its, uh, in its infancy yes. as well, which is very cool. I think I was, I think I got involved maybe like a year after it was founded, but I remember that the design was different. I actually, I was invited to the product and community at that time. I think you needed to, in order to do anything on the site, you needed to be invited or, or something like that. But it was like, it was WordPress people who were trying to like po- publish their plugins and themes that I knew in the early days of product and they invited me to this. And then it was like, it was a, it was an expansion. It was a, it was insane to see this entire universe of tech that I had not been exposed to. Obviously stuff, you know, going on in the Bay Area, stuff going on yes. in New York, Austin. Just as I was an open source, which rubbed shoulders, but that that isn't, it's different. It's a different place. It's different people. It's different motives. A lot more agencies than products. But then I got clued into SaaS and all these subscription models and, and just this like very innovative stuff going on. These companies that were building literally competitors to Salesforce, which to me was even insane at the time. But a shout out Product Hunt for exposing me to that scene. And, and then I really pivoted my career. So what I started to do more than more than development, more than just like writing code all the time, was I started to get in a lot more involved with product. Uh, and particularly we're talking like, pro- I think it started with product design, so more of UI, UX, and then like product design and then customer experience sort of stuff. And then you know, that really matured into also understanding product management, product ownership, and, and doing a lot of work in that. And then uh, Massive Detour, one of the communities that I was part of in the startup world, I bumped into somebody who was working on a uh, chatbot and voice-based 
solution for hospitality. So he was already yeah. working with some like local, like, I think it was like, we had some restaurants and there were some like dealerships. It was very random use cases, but had this very customer facing versions of the software that businesses, could, small businesses could use and it turned into like a hospitality play too. But anyways, one thing led to another and I became a co-founder. So drop dropped all my agency stuff, dropped all the, I was doing a little bit of building MVPs and just like playing around a little bit, doing one-off projects here and there to figure out where I wanted to be in startup and ended up in the, ended up on the founder side. So it was awesome. It was an incredible experience that kicked off in, in late 2016, got to work with the likes of Marriott, got to talk to companies like Hilton and another major, like a lot of, it was very, it was a very unique experience because hospitality is a very difficult, sometimes long sales process type industry to be in. So we had a lot of companies that we had a lot of like small hotels that we worked with and a lot of like resort chains that we were running pilots for doing, we were half of the the pay we were getting was like designing the solutions for them, not even necessarily building it out, but even just architecting it and, and giving them a, a clue into artificial intelligence. We got to be part of, I don't think it's around anymore, but Capital Factory out in Austin, Texas, which is now, they have something like this, but they had a, they had an accelerator back in the day that had more cohorts. Now I think it's something a little bit different, but back then it was a little bit more similar to your traditional 500 startups or Y Combinator. Mm. And we got into that and we got to really, and actually, believe it or not, Dallas and Austin and Houston are massive hospitality hubs for, for just some of these, or they just have big offices there. So we got to really talk to some cool people, do a lot of cool things in that world. And we did we did a little bit of raising. It wasn't a super successful thing, but because we needed a lot more validation. And because the sales cycles were so slow, there's so many things that relied on each other. So it's more about trying to get customers to close and yeah. And doing a lot of work there. And it was an insane experience. Two years in that world. So late 2016 to mid 2018. Did a lot of really cool things. Got very involved in just the startup. Got even deeper into the startup community. But not as a lurker anymore, but as a founder. So I was able to go to all these cool events. Went to South by Southwest. Represented the company. It was an insane couple of years. Until we realized that unfortunately because of hospitality's lack of maturity and willingness to pay. What would sustain a startup? (laughs) We had to shut it down. It was just one of those things where the, the product market fit was, we found it in, in wacky ways, but it never really propagated into sustainability. And even investors were like, Man, like these are just not the sustainable models and the companies we were working with were not really playing ball with us, which is all good. It's a lesson. It's something we learned. But following that point, all, pretty much all I did, even though I had background in, in building chatbots and, and voice and doing some productized development around that. I was really leading product and sales and operations at the startup while my co-founder was a little bit more of the technical lead and the brains behind the artificial intelligence itself that we had, all the models and, and things that we had built. Immediately after after that failed, there was a lot to learn, right? There's a lot to take from that. And one thing I realized is I don't, I'm quite, you know, interested in just being someone who like, I, I still code from time to time. I still like, like my end development, front end development roots and all the cool stuff that I got to be exposed to back in the open source scene. But Product is something that really took a hold of me. That experience, I went into more of, I don't even know what to call it, but I was basically like, at one point in time, I was like an interim head of product for five startups at once, which was just, it's like I restarted my whole agency type thing, but yeah. it was a totally different, I'm only going to work with cutting edge companies. I'm only going to, I'm going to try to immerse myself as much as possible, help these companies either raise or just build a product that needs to help them raise and do different things. So got to work with some incredible startups. One of the startups that I got to work with, I actually ended up being yeah, brought on as head of product full time. It was a conversational AI prototyping solution called Botmock. So I was with them for, for a year back in 20, basically for the year 2019, I was with them and, and doing some incredible work in the AI space and talking to a lot of cool companies and working with a lot of big customers, running a SaaS and doing product mm-hmm. at that. And then after that, the more recent endeavors that I've been into was early 2020, I decided to 
step back from working on that specific product and try to see if I can expand my net a little bit more and ended up connecting with someone that I knew more from like the AI industry and from that community to start off something that's not quite in the same startup realm as everything else I've done, but still uses a lot of stuff. So right now, and that started in early 2020, I came together with some people and we rebooted another agency into this new one, which is called uh, Chat Mode. And essentially we are a bespoke artificial intelligence slash research and development consultancy. So I work with Fortune 500, anything from startups, actually. We've worked with, with a few scaling startups on helping them figure out how to build a pipeline for AI all the way to, you know, Fortune 500 on doing things with uh, customer experience, employee experience. I've actually done a chatbot and, and voice projects with some um, with some people here, but also computer vision and just all the cutting edge things, particularly in the Microsoft ecosystem. So that's where we found our happy place. But I basically, I'm taking a bit of a sabbatical from working with startups and focusing on you know, trying to scale in a more corporate facing space, but bringing that agility, bringing that, that innovation and that, that innovative spirit to yeah. Uh, a new world that I think definitely needs it. Otherwise, these Fortune 500 companies, they're going to lose their competitive advantage if they're not focusing on yeah. trying to build processes and technologies that, that bring them up to date. So yeah, long story short, that, that's what I'm doing now. Since then, I've also gotten involved more. Now it's hit a, a critical mass where I do a lot more writing about startups these days. Before I was yeah. just too busy working, but now I've, I've taken my time to create resources, um, planning to do some meetups and events, hopefully when COVID calms down a little bit to give back to the community. And then I do yeah. some angel investing on the side as well. But my, my, and then, and then the other big thing that I got into was a friend of mine is a, he was the founder of a uh, esports franchise that really actually hit its, I'd say like jump off point last year yes. in the middle of last year. And I got invited to invest a little bit and become a co-owner actually and buy co-ownership stakes. So, so team, uh, I'm currently- team Meteor. Yeah, that is Team Meteor, or I guess it's yeah. like more, I guess we're calling it more like Meteor these days because there's so many teams yeah. under it in different games and stuff. But it initially just started as a Rocket League franchise. Now yeah. it's, it's also done stuff in Rainbow Six now. It's done yeah. stuff in, uh, it will do stuff in Call of Duty and Overwatch and other leagues as well. But yeah, that that's Team Meteor. That's I wouldn't consider that like a full-time job by any means, but it's fun to sit on the board of that and help dictate the future, build partnerships. Yeah. I've actually built... My, my connections in technology and, and software that I've products that I've worked with and talked to that are in the esports space have been brought into and are working with Team Media right now. So it's really cool to have this sort of like marriage of where I come from and where I, yes. and you know, also my love for esports and gaming propagating into something as well. So yeah, it's been an incredible journey. But, uh, and then, and also the main thing doing all this AI and RB stuff. So still being on the bleeding edge of as much as I can be, but at a point now where I'm at a, it's, it's much less at that like early stage and more of scaled as well. But giving myself that perspective has been, but COVID has given me a lot of time to reflect yeah. on what kind of investor I want to be because as an angel and, and someone who wants to be a VC in the future, a little yeah. bit more involved in that world. Like that's giving me perspective. I'd love to eventually start my own startup again. I don't know at what capacity, but it will nice. happen. I know I'm going to be drawn to it, but now it's just, I've had so many different perspectives and yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll let us get into more of the, the Q&A stuff because I'm sure I can answer through through some conversation. Yeah, yeah. Here. So the first one- that was good background. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it is very detailed. It's fantastic. First question is is around the fundraising side because you have been on both the sides. What do you yes. think founders do? And what do you think they do wrong? Oh, man. So yeah, I, I know what I did wrong when I was raising. The main thing that I learned was the value of customer discovery is not something to ever be discounted. I think it's sometimes it's an obvious, but the, the fact of the matter is I think a lot of startups, they, they talk to their customers at a very surface level, right? Like how hyped are you about the, our product? Which is great at some capacity, right? Like you want it, you want customer satisfaction, you want 
an interface that works well, but also working with your customers and ask it, not asking them, but leading them up to a point where they can tell you, where you can tell them what the ROI is and them actually agreeing with you about that. That's a totally different thing than them just being excited. Hospitality taught me that the very hard way. We were working with some like hospitals on early stage products and the level of validation even they needed to consider us as a vendor was insane. We didn't get to work with them. We did some, yeah. you know, PLC type stuff, but that was just insane because, and we would, they were obviously hyped. They were obviously very excited. They wanted to use it. They wanted to find ways to bring it to their systems and whatever. But then we realized there's all this security red tape yes. and we were using Amazon Alexa technology and their backend, which uh, technically was not HIPAA compliant at the time. Even if we had modified it, technically Amazon's still the owner. So those things yeah. there. And even when we built some of our own solutions, same thing. We didn't have, we needed to have different, it is you know, super expensive offers. to build everything. <laughs> so expensive, man. Yes, it was yes. very, it was even with all, like I said, even with POCs where the, the goal is yeah. building like a, a low, we had the models that was our like SaaS offering as we had all this like backend, but the front, but building these front ends and, and being able to lead customers to ROI and, and having them sort of be on that journey with us is something we didn't do early enough. And I think partially why we got pretty choked in the early stages of fundraising because we we definitely had momentum, right? From being part of an accelerator, from being part of that scene. But I just realized we were asking our customers the wrong questions and we weren't thinking long-term enough because we were just so excited by everyone in our accelerator cohort. I remember they were all like, they had those like really cool viral loops where you can like sign up and invite your friends. And suddenly you'd have like thousands of people on the wait list. We were, do, we were trying to do that, but with like hotels and stuff. So we were getting, for what the industry that we were in, we were getting interest and we were getting outbound and we were getting everything. But we weren't, when we were actually going to them and asking them what made them excited, we didn't consider the actual like numbers and the data that they really needed. And in turn, investors were like, where is it? Like, this all looks great. And I'm happy to hear that your company giving you like the 10 out of 10, like hype rating, but where's the actual <laughs> data to back it up? And yeah. I think it's, it's all, but it's vanity, right? Vanity metrics yes, are vanity. super popular. Yeah. How many, how many subscribers does your startups YouTube channel have? That's great. For marketing, where's the product, right? Where's its impact? Yeah. Where's it doing what it needs to do? That That's the one thing on, that's just a very upfront experience I wanted to share for, you know, abundance of transparencies that where I went wrong was I just got too high, too into that like vanity side of startups, which, which admittedly even investors sold us to embrace. And then when the going got tough, when it was actually time to raise, it was a different tone. It was like, they became less of an advisor and more of a, a inv like investor yes. type where they're like, oh, why aren't you doing this? And it's like, the advice that yeah. we were hearing was everyone should be doing the hype, should yeah. be doing some sort of like buildup and, and momentum building. But then it was more about the data in the end. So that that's on one side. Even since then, speaking to, I've, I've done like startup advising and investing now. And so I've had a lot of really cool opportunities to see a lot of people tackle fundraising differently. And I think the one thing that founders are doing really right now is understanding where they're coming from and using that to build the startup of their dreams. So mm -hmm. I'm working with people right now who come from like, marketing backgrounds or from yes. gaming backgrounds or something and are figuring out very creative ways to build the startups that they want to build. So people who had previously built blockchain solutions, they they took that creativity, they took what they couldn't do at the company that they were building these technologies and they're using it to actually build the, you know, the the startup that they want and are really doing the due yeah. diligence. So one thing that I'm always talking with, with founders about is how do I get asked quite quite often, right? I was like, how do I use my previous experience? Because there's all this like all these Googlers who get their startups, they raise money overnight. And I think a lot of other people can do, can have just that much impact, but even if they're not working for a big tech company, they still had some work experience or some research or, or some exposure to an industry that they can offer some unique twist to. So I think creativity has gotten really good lately. And what I've seen, the, the startup founders who lean into, I'll call it like innovative creativity based on their experience, based on the people that they talk to 
based on grueling research and, and methodology building that they do. That's been super impressive. That's been amazing to see. The other thing I, I got to bring this up because it's something that I've been you know personally very passionate about is the companies bringing on diverse perspectives and focusing yeah. on building you know diverse teams from different backgrounds, regions of the world, building diverse cap tables and advisory boards as well. I think we're getting to a point now where there, there just has to be people breaking the status quo. If we're going to actually make change, especially Silicon Valley has been guilty of it and, and many parts yeah. of the world have been. And having talking to founders that, that take it in stride and empower their, their empower not only their customers, but their own employees and build yes. good culture. I'm driven by that like crazy these days. Like that is really, that's as exciting as someone who wants to work with startups is, is understanding that they're going to go much farther by understanding that you don't have to go the traditional formula. You don't have to, you don't have to hire people in a certain persona. You can go remote, right? Like I have one, one fun fact about me. I've never had a job or a role that I've ever had to show up in the office. I've only ever been remote in every single gig client that I've ever worked with. Uh, never had to be on premise anywhere. Never had to yeah. set anything up in person. I have like gone to offices of, of companies I've worked with and stuff, but never had to sit at a desk for a full day. And yeah. so I've always been a big proponent of, hey, there's talent all over the world. There's people. Absolutely. Yeah, in in our startup, we have got the same for Insider. So we've got two employees in Argentina, one sure. contractor in Italy, one in Philippines. And we are looking at one because my co-founder, he is originally from Russia, but he's oh, sure. like now New Zealander, now a Kiwi, but mm-hmm. um, he speaks yeah, yeah. Rush, like multiple languages. So um, sure. we are thinking of hiring someone in, in Ukraine as our next developer. So we have yeah. a distributed team from day one. And even for the previous esports company that I worked for, we had mm-hmm. employees like in Poland, Canada, um, Latin America, just all around, spread all around. It's like, why not? Access to, it's just arbitrage. You get access to best yeah. talent at the best prices. You get the highest ROI and you Absolutely. bring in unique perspectives that other people cannot. So yeah, I mean, from day one, it, that's been the, that's been the plan for us. Yeah. Yeah. So I completely and, see that. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. And I, I was just going to say quickly, I think I'm not going to riff on like people who come from corporate backgrounds, but certainly even in, in San Francisco, you bump into a lot of very idealistic startup founders who believe the perfect vision of a startup is the office, the swag, the party. There's just like such a, like I said, it's very formulaic sometimes. And I think that's all fun. And if you can find success in it, good for you. But also like resisting the fact that the world is changing, especially with everything that happened with COVID. It's ridiculous, but I know startup founders and, and CEOs that were trying to build, like bring their teams into the office in the middle of the pandemic last year, which I think is, is inappropriate in my opinion, especially yeah. like just for that vision and that chase of the perfect company. And, and at an early stage, why do that? Right. What you're losing time, you're losing your employees trust. You're like, you're really causing more, more trouble than there needs to be. And exactly um, right. startups that recognize that just get me a lot more excited and embracing thinking outside of the box, embracing change, Embracing societal adjustments where we're all working yeah. in different time zones, but figuring it out, asynchronous work, voice messages instead of meetings and, and email or slacks instead of email. Like all those things are. Discord. You know, those are Discord is the way to Discord. go. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Like for right. last five years in our companies, we have not used Slack. We just use Discord wow. everywhere. We That's go. insane. Yeah. And, the, and even for non-gaming companies, for my the agency, we moved mm-hmm. three years ago from Slack to Discord. So yeah, wow. about three and a half years ago. It's definitely Super changing. Impressive. Yeah, <laughs> not always. Had, yeah. So I completely, yeah, completely um, agree. Um, how was your experience of becoming like an investor in an esports mm. team? What, how did you decide that you want to do that? Or what metrics did you look at and stuff? <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, then he answer to that is I wanted to take the risk. It, it really, they were pretty early stage. What I saw was Team Meter made some very strategic decisions in the last year to get some of the top teams and not necessarily like top five, like the top, you know, 12, like top 12 type players and groups that were free agents and looking for teams to be a part of in the games that they were going after, which I guess Rainbow Six Siege, which we had, which had a great team out in the UK that was really killing it in that scene and, and doing a lot of content creation and stuff on, on that yeah. side. And then also in Rocket League, we, we did have a top 12 team. Like I said, that was they were just floating around waiting for someone to pick them up, and, and we did. And and they were really taking us far, and I think we won some games against Cloud9. Like, it was it was pretty nice. cool to talk about, right? Yeah. 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 I, you know, at least at least in the, the leagues that we were in. We haven't necessarily been on the big screen quite yet, yes. but, you know, we're, we're still seeing that my... The connections that I had and the leadership team behind Team Meteor, they just... Not only their dedication to building the best teams, training the best teams, and, and building the best, you know, like franchise in itself. They were also just very passionate about what they did. It's the same, a little bit similar to early ventures. They showed that hunger and that attention to detail, that attention to data that really is important when it comes to building a startup too and building anything like that. It's still very much the same thing. We're not as big as your 100 Thieves or or TSM or anything yet, but the trajectory, there's a plan, right? It's not just another community. It's something that we have an existing, we have a sort of an existing audience just because of how, how good at network and community building some of these executives behind Team Meteor were in. There's just some really cool stuff that really brought like a, like an upfront, I'll call it like an upfront trajectory. Like even when I was in, I could just tell, and they're still really moving up and they're still in like over indexing on the right things and, and making a lot of decisions that I think will, it's going to take a little bit more time, but maybe like later, the goal is I think coming up this fall, there's going to be a lot of big like leaks, especially with COVID wrapping up, there'll be a little bit more in-person stuff coming back and just more mm-hmm. energy around those big tournaments coming back. And uh, I, I think Team Meter is going to be running the gauntlet this year. I think we're really going to be hammering down. Uh, we're we're get, bringing on more content creators too. So like yeah. we're literally, you know, building an, an incubator slash accelerator for Twitch streamers that um, are growing exponentially with us and, and growing exponentially in their games and in their spaces. So we're that all those things just excite me because it, it's a massive risk. I would say it's definitely a, a whole new world to be in, but there's yeah. opportunity here. And uh, there's also some really cool stuff for in terms of partnerships and proximity to technology that I think will also, in a sense, make Team Meteor success even, like, even more possible just because they, they'll have the right tools under their belt to really scale up instead of just build all their processes internally, a nice hybrid. So I have faith. Like I said, I sit more on an advisory side and a co-owner means that is more of what that you know, co-ownership role looks like. But it's yeah. also, I've helped them with a lot of decisions in branding and bringing on different content creators and scaling those things up and some partnerships and I'm incredibly excited for the future, but it really does. It's interesting how much it calls back upon startup thinking and startup mentality yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, No, that's great. And where do you see things going in the next five years for you? Where do you see yourself as a investor, VC, founder? Yeah, I think at least on my, with, with sort of the stuff I'm doing with, with Microsoft and, and in the AI space, I think I'm definitely going to be scaling that up a little bit in the, in the next year or so for sure. Um, with, especially with, it's a lot of things like COVID put a lot of barriers in the way for networking, events, public presence, things like that. But we're already ramping up a lot of amazing partnerships and opportunities within the Microsoft ecosystem and even outside of it to really push the boundaries of AI, like bringing AI, like I said, to, to an R&D, AI R&D to a corporate level and, and Fortune 500. So that, that gets me incredibly excited. And I guess on the side, running parallel, my passion remains in, in startups and building early stage ventures. So for me, I'm definitely going to be doing more angel investing like later this year, next year. Like I'm just going to be consistently moving on those things, joining syndicates wherever I can or, yeah. or joining a syndicate, maybe starting my own. That's actually, that's on the bucket list too. And then I do want to like, 
I don't know when this will, I don't know if it's the next five years or something, but I, I would just like to see how far in I could go into the world of VC and um, see if I can, you know, invest in a startup and help them go over an acquisition, help them go over an exit and yes. and see where I could be involved in something like that, even without having to be a full-time employee, but it would be, it'd be certainly cool to, yeah. to be a, be an advisor, be an investor and, and help see something hit critical mass. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And just in general too, I'm definitely, I took a couple, I, I'd say I took a few years off because back in those open source days and all that like conference and meetup things, I was in that circuit, man. I was in all yeah. the, I was at all the events. I got really into speaking. I got really into presenting and teaching and, and lecturing and doing workshops and things like that. And when I got more into the startup realm, you lose time for that, especially yeah. when you're raising and selling and doing all these things. Now that it's a little bit more back to, now that there's different competencies and different things I have to put my efforts into, I'm definitely getting back into trying to build communities and trying to build resources and places that people can go, particularly for, I I really think that product management, development, ownership, design are all very evolving industries. I'm working on this community called Day to Day, which is going to be a, just a side project, but I have like a sub stack set up and I have a Slack group set up and I'm just going to be trying to you know, see what I can do in terms of bringing a lot of those, like those experiences from actually like breaking the process and rebuilding it and seeing more success, right? Like taking unorthodox paths to helping different startups succeed. When I was doing uh, the interim head of product stuff in particular, and when I was, you know, sort of a product manager for hire, I just got to, I got to see some companies grow just from not like we, we followed a philosophy, we followed a methodology, but we broke it and, and built it back up, re- reshuffled the puzzle a little bit. And there were just so many lessons learned and so many different ways that it can complement growth, complement sales, and just build a product that people want to invest into, people want to buy and just something that people want to acquire. So yeah. I want to get back into really writing. I'm even inspired by you, Sam, like you writing that book. Like I think that is something I want to do too in the next few years. I've actually talked to quite a few people who are just like, ebooks or some sort of like pamphlets or something that, yes. that are easy to digest, but have a lot of value in that, you know, in those amount of pages that you have so that it's yeah. in one place instead of like a blog or a sub stack yeah. where things can get lost in emails. Just considering how I can, um, how I can bring some of that perspective as well of, of working on the cutting edge and also building even cutting edge or, or adapting traditional processes into yeah. the world of cutting edge and, you know, being agile and everything like that. Yeah. That's great. This could be pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what advice do you have for someone raising funding at a like a seed stage or a pre-seed mm-hmm. stage in, in fintech? Ooh, okay. Fun one, because I, I do have a fintech company I'm working with. So with fintech, it's particular, I think it's a combination of obviously customer discovery, what I talked about, having making customers love your product, not just from a perspective of this product exists, but also from a perspective of what, what's the ROI of, of people being involved. So that that's one perspective for sure that I was talking about earlier. I think another one for fintech in particular is understanding there's a lot of very general fintech products right now. And yeah. I actually, maybe there's a lot of people that will disagree with me on this. I'm not sure. But I think the specialization of fintech is going to be huge as in building payroll advanced apps for different parts of Europe or for South America or for Southeast yeah. Asia building those specific products that target a certain market, target a certain need, but give it to a certain audience and like taking a creative approach and finding a demographic that would be open to that approach rather than just, we, we could certainly have more Robin Hoods. Like I don't doubt that, but I think there's products that have to make things easier and they have to start somewhere. And I, think, yes. I think actually here's a piece of advice I'd like to share until the end of time. Don't build for everyone. I, I really like, I know that exactly. there's some products there's ways for products to get there. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like you can get to, a, you could get to a Robin Hood level where everyone could use you. 
Don't get me wrong. But at this point in time, you're like, if you're trying to build the next Robinhood, you're at a, you're, you're at a massive disadvantage. If you're trying to build the next, I think it's called like Dave, right? That like financial management app. Like there's so many different solutions that yes. they really, they, they do have Super Bowl ads and that's what you're up against. And so yeah. your perspective has to be, how do you stand out? How can you offer something that, that focuses on a specific demographic? Mm-hmm. And then through that demographic, through that more specialization, you can expand to a product set you might, like other uh, companies might not focus on because they're too big and different their demographics because they're too big because they literally can't expand that way. But you have an in or you have some sort of strategy to have a unique perspective and have a unique product vision. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I think it needs it. to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's very cool advice. Just a couple more questions. And that is, sure, is there sure. a book that you are reading right now? Zero to Sold by Zero to um, sold. Arvid Call. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not, not Zero to One. <laughs> Not yes, that's, I almost said zero to one. That's why I had to like yes. remember. Is this one called Zero to Sold? Which is a um, I, Arvid is incredible. I've interacted with him on Twitter, and I've, I've seen his book was like really well rated on Amazon too. But it's a incredible oh, perspective cool. on bootstrapping, and he sold a, a company for quite a good amount that was just fully bootstrapped. And I was amazed. I was amazed to read that story. I was amazed to read some of you know his perspectives. I, I think that was a really good one. It just gives that honest look at a a model that everybody doesn't find sexy. Bootstrapping is a weird, it's a weird thing for some people, right? You're putting in your yes. own money. And then, but like, when you think about it, MailChimp was actually bootstrapped for a while. And, and I think yeah. Trello started as a side project that was bootstrapped and then blew up to investment levels. But there are a lot of companies that we're, we're not even talking about that are, are living in a, they're just, they're tackling like funding and sustainability in very different ways. And uh, Zero to Salt was one of those books that opened my eyes on it. And I feel like I... I feel like I just see a lot of great, one thing I was going to say too, is that even outside of books, I've just been finding some incredible like Twitter threads from, I I don't even know, I can't even start to name the amount of people that I've seen, but just being active on Twitter. Let me say one thing too, to to your point, because I I feel like that question comes up a lot, but if you want to get a lot of value that books are really great, but one place that you can really find value similar to books these days are just being active in, you know, the the communities that surround product hunt or the communities around venture capital and Twitter has just become a amazing place to learn from literally whatever, how many characters we have now, 280. And then 280, you know, people, yes. they're writing like little micro books, right? Like just by having yeah. a bunch of threads per day. But if you were to put them together, you would get like also an email yeah. that goes from start to finish on how I started a million dollar company. Someone did that for Naval, you know, Naval Ravikant. Someone yeah, did that, yeah. made a book out of his tweets and sold that book. Did they actually? <laughs> and he's, yeah, that, yeah. It see, is, there is a book and it's very popular. In I'm fact, so it's shocked like I haven't seen bestseller. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called the the, wow. the Almanac of Ravikant. The Almanac of That's yeah. incredible. That's actually genius. That's a great idea. But I had no idea actually someone went out of the way. Because I guess yes. it's, it's not like... And he did that. reach out to him and it's with permission and some there's some sort of a deal as well. Sure. But someone did it for him and then reached out to him that, hey, I want to do this. And sure. <laughs> so just a young guy like you and did that. And yeah. it's amazing idea. And he's got like a massive following on internet and on Tim Ferriss's podcast and through everything. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, I'll call that a hustle. I'll yeah, yeah. Call that, that a hustle. It's real hustle. And then, yeah, you don't yeah. even have to come up with your own content. <laughs> I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that now. I read, obviously read Neville Streets all the time, but I had no idea someone actually, this is, that's crazy. And it's it's a great idea. I like how it's called like a guide to wealth and happiness. I think that's like underselling it though, because I think there's just so much more, but I I guess at its core, that's what it is, right? It's wealth and happiness. So. Yeah, he's good. Devil is really good. It's so yeah. much like there's philosophy, there's culture, there's everything in his tweets and stuff. So yeah, I have a yeah. lot of fun reading yeah. that. Yeah, that's awesome. And 
And yeah, finally, is do you have a ask? Are you looking for anything? Are you looking for companies to invest in, VCs to reach out to anything? Yeah, so what I'm I guess what I'm looking for first of all, if anyone's listening from San Francisco, let's connect. I'm always looking for more people to meet with out here. I, I try to run some meetups, dinners, things like that in the near future. Primarily around product building and product development, but like that would be I think that can cover a lot. So that that's one thing. Obviously, I'm personally very passionate about advising for startups. I have slots available in the near future to do like advising. And usually those advisory, you know, engagements that I have usually lead up to investing. That's how I've been tackling my pipeline. I'm always happy to I'm always happy to just jam with founders, right? If it's just yeah. an hour call, even if you never and it happens all the time. Even if you never reach out to me, it's great to know that you might have taken away something from 1 hour and you're going out there and killing it. I'm just passionate I want to learn. I'll try to reconnect at least, but you don't even have to ever respond to me again. It's just one of those things that I have. I have such a passion for, and I want to. I want to talk about it all the time, and it, it just it gives me life, right? To hear about this and hear perspectives and how people are thinking about it. So that's really cool. And like I said, those could lead to a lot of different things. And uh, yeah, I think another thing that I'm looking for, particularly right now, is I love to connect with other angels because I will be trying to do some syndicate stuff. I love sending deals to other angels. I'm doing quite a bit of that right now, and and I think that that whole that idea of, of mutually working together. And I, I don't even know, I might, I might focus on esports. actually. Like, that's what I've been thinking. I don't know if a syndicate could be big enough with that. I don't know if the exits are good enough yet, but there are opportunities, I think, to find, I might look for some niches and help people build like a source. I'll be like the person who sources them out and, and we'll work yeah. with different angel investors and the founders I connect them with to make some deals happen. Yeah. And then the other thing is, I guess with chat mode, like I said, we do, we're, a consultancy. So we're obviously always looking for, for clients and people to talk, at least to talk to and have conversations about if, if you're looking for a way to bring AI to, like I said, customer experience, employee experience at scale, particularly with within existing Microsoft resources and investments. That's that, that world that I'm in as well. Yeah. Sorry. I hope that's not too many asked for this. That's but, all good. You know, that's all good. Look, try to keep I'm it open. Do, yeah. Yeah. What I'm going to do is put all these um, links to all your things, to to your Twitter, LinkedIn, everything underneath the show notes and every platform, wherever this goes. And yeah, few weeks, few months. So yeah, look, it's been fantastic talking with you and knowing about your journey and and getting all Mm -hmm. those gems of wisdom about mistakes people make in Mm -hmm. when they are going through early stage seed rounds or funding and all that sort of thing. And yeah, and just get to know your vision of future of where you think Mm -hmm. things are going. So it's, it's, I'm sure it will be very useful to a lot of tech founders out there. So thank you so much for your time. And and yeah, let's keep in touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.